You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Well, Stonegate, today we are starting what is going to be one of the most important seasons in the six-year history of our church family. Today, that begins. We have a lot to be excited about, don't we? So before we do anything else, would y'all just join me and let's just pray with, for what the Lord would have, that we would all be open to that, ready for that. So let's all pray together collectively that we would be open to the Lord. I want to give you just a moment there where you are to pray for your own soul in that. where there's cynicism or a distrust to the Lord that even now the Spirit of God would be ripping that out of us. And Father, would you put in us an eager expectation? What a great time for the life of this church family. What a great time. And Father, I pray that in the middle of this season, Lord, that you would do unbelievable things in us as a corporate body, as a church family, as a whole, that you would change us. And Lord, I pray that you would use this season to change us personally. Our own hearts, how we interact with you, how we love you, how we're open to you. Lord, that you would use this particular season in our life. It would be a defining moment in our life where we learn the lesson of living by faith. Teach us this, God. We're just saying we're open to you and we want that. So please do it. It's in your good name. Amen. Okay, I need to give you a couple of things just to get us rolling this morning. Um, if you look under your seat, you should have a booklet like this. I want to just draw your attention to this. We've created some resources for you, uh, for, you uh, for this set of sermons in particular. This is one of the most important that we want you to have. And so if you um, grab that, and I'm just going to encourage you right now where you are to go ahead and write your name on that. That way if it's lost, we can get it back to its rightful owner. Um, so you can write your name there on the front of it. And, uh, and let me just draw your attention to a few of the things in it. You can kind of see the table of contents uh, on page five there. Um, it's got uh, all in explained, basically the contents of that video, the main things that you need to know about. And I want to encourage you, make sure you're in the know on those things. We're going to post this video on, uh, online today. You can watch that again. You can read through this booklet. Uh, make sure you do that so that you're in the know on what is happening in All In. So All In Explained is in there. If you come down to page 15, Celebrating God's Faithfulness, it's just kind of a view back over the last six years of our church family's life and the many evidences of grace that are embedded into our story. I mean, in every leap of faith, we said this in that video, in every leap of faith, the Lord has been so faithful to us. It's been unbelievable. So it looks back and celebrates um, the Lord's faithfulness. Um, you know, it, it explains more of what was in the video from a one fund initiative, what that means. It gives you some direction on how you can respond on page 24. But then look down on page 38. I want to draw your attention to page 38. We want this friend to be, or this book to be your best friend over the next five weeks. So we want this thing to be with you. Like wherever your Bible is, it's tucked into your Bible. And this is like just a normal way that you're going to be interacting with God over the next four or five weeks. So if you look at page uh, 38, that is the series guide. On page 39, you're going to see a, a page to take notes with your sermon. Uh, so every Sunday when you come... Uh, there will be a notes page for the sermon for that Sunday. So you'll want to bring this book. This is a great place to take the notes so that you'll have that all in one place. If you go to the next page, page 40, that is all the stuff you're going to need for home groups. 
So we're going to have four home groups to meeting, uh, meetings kind of throughout this uh, set of sermons. It gives you all the information for those four meetings. Um, we're going to be on a reading plan together. We're going to be thinking about a particular passage. We're going to be reading through a book called The Treasure Principle together. It gives you all of those things, what you're to read, what passage we're looking at in those particular weeks. And then it gives you discussion questions that you need to come to your home group ready to discuss. In other words, you've spent time in those questions, thinking through those questions, so that when you come and, and you're at your home group meeting, you're ready to contribute to a good conversation around what the Lord is doing in your life in those questions. So it's got all of that information in there. So if you'll make sure you keep this book with you the entire time, that would be great. Now, also in your booklet, there is a commitment card. Let me say a couple of things about that really briefly. Um, so that should have been tucked inside of that booklet. So here is the journey we are asking every person in our church family to come along with us on. Every one of us, we're asking for you, for me, for all of us to go on this journey of getting before the Lord with an open heart and of asking the Lord to clarify what our generosity should look like over the next two years of our life. We're asking every one of us to get before the Lord to try to nail down what would that look like? What would a number look like that would represent radical and faith-filled generosity for the next two years of our life? Then on March the 6th, we're going to meet right here on March the 6th, and we're going to have such a great time as we're going to come with that commitment to the Lord. This moment of us saying to the Lord, God, we're all in. We're going to come on that day, March 6th, and we're going to make that commitment to the Lord together in this service just like this on that day. So we want to get that card to you early so you can begin to pray over that. Now, I want to encourage you to fast over that. Ask the Lord to talk to you about these things. Ask the Lord to give you clarity on what that's going to look like and be ready on March 6th to make that commitment with all of us right here in this room together. Okay, last thing, and then we're going to get into our text this morning. I want to have a moment with you just right here when I look you in the eye, and I am looking at everyone that calls Stonegate home. So if, if you would think about your life and you would say, this is your church family, I am asking you to take this journey with us. I'm asking you to walk down this road with us, to come, to come with us down this road. Now hear me on this. This is so crucial that you get what I'm about to say next. My main motivation is not to say, come along, come down this road with us, walk down this journey with us. It is not primarily because we want something from you. It is because we want something for you. The Lord has stuff for you down that road that's gonna be unique. It's gonna be tailored to you. The Lord knows you. And he's going to be interacting with you in ways that are going to be helpful and great for you. What's at stake for everyone in this church family is this question. Are we going to be ready and willing to learn what it means to walk by faith? That's what the Lord's asking from all of us. Will you, will you journey with me? This is the Lord asking all of us. Will you journey with me down this road of learning what it means to walk by faith? I mean, I'm just praying as a church family, none of us will miss that. Amen? Okay, Luke 5 is where we are. Luke 5. Let me read this passage, and then we're going to jump in. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. 
And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. And I love this next statement. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, verse 10, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is God's word. So the core of this story is not Peter's conversion. That is not the main issue going on here. The core of this story is the Lord looking at Peter and his other disciples and looking at them and saying, I am about to arrange a scenario to cultivate faith in you. That, that's the big theme of this story. It's the Lord looking at his disciples and creating an all or nothing scenario. Hey, hey, you're going to have to push all of your chips in sort of scenario to cultivate faith in the life of his disciples. He's looking at Peter. And think about Peter. He's a fisherman. This is what Peter's always done. This is what Peter has done. This is Peter's life. He fishes. That's how he makes his life work. That's how he provides for himself. That's how he does all of these things. And then by the time you get down to verse 10, the, the Lord has put this call on Peter's life. And it's not, it's not kind of a stay-at-home call. It's not that. It, it's going to be a leave-everything sort of a call. Jesus is looking at Peter, and he's looking at him, and, and he's saying, Peter, the, the call that I have on you is not normal. The, the call is different. It's going to require something different and distinct. It's going to require from you a journey into the often talked about but se seldom-traveled territory called living by faith. Now, when I read the Bible, I can't help but just imagine what would be in between verses 10 and verse 11. Verse 10 is the Lord clarifying, you're about to leave everything and come and follow me. Verse 11 is Peter's response. But I think between that are all sorts of questions. Like, Jesus, are you serious? How is this going to work out? Fishing is what I've known. What about my family? What about my business? What about this, that, that? There's no way this makes human sense, Jesus. There's no way. Do you see the scenario that he's created for Peter? It's this all or nothing scenario. It's the scenario where he's looking at Peter saying, Peter, you can either continue to trust what you see and live by that, or you can begin to trust what I see and live by that. Those are your options, Peter. What are you gonna do? And I love his response in verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left a few things and followed him. No, it wasn't a few things. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. That is what you call a defining moment of faith. That is Indiana Jones on the faith bridge. Remember that moment? That is him taking that wobbly step of faith when he can't see how it's going to turn out. That's the scenario that, that the Lord has created for Peter. He is looking at Peter and he's saying, Peter, I want you to come and follow me. It's this moment where Peter is having to make this decision. Am I going to continue to bank on all the things that have made my life work, the things that I can see, taste, touch, and smell? Am I going to continue to bank on those? Or am I willing to let go of all of those things, turn to Jesus, and to bank on him to make my life work? That's the scenario. 
The Lord's looking at him and saying, I'm cultivating faith in you. I'm walking you into faith. I'm walking you into what it means to be all in with me. That's what the Lord is doing for Peter. Now, in light of that, I want to answer two questions. Two questions. Here's question number one. What is the main business of our life? In light of this passage, what is the main business of our life? Question number two, what is the number one obstacle to to our main business? So number one, what's the main business of our life? Number two, what is the biggest obstacle to us actually making it down the road in that, that main area? So question number one, what is the main business of our lives? What, what is that? Answer. should be on the screen for you. Here's the answer. What is the main business of your life, of my life? What is the main business? Here's one way we could answer that. To learn what it means to live by faith. To learn what it means to live by faith. That's the main business of our life. After our conversion... The key moments of our life come when Jesus creates the all or nothing scenarios to cultivate in us a life of faith. When he creates these loop five moments that force us into faith, that force us into dependency, that, that force us into this, I'm throwing everything I have upon you. Those are the main moments of our life. The main business of our life is to learn what it means to venture everything on God. That's the main business of our life. Now, before we keep going, let me just take a moment to define faith. What is faith? We're talking a lot about living by faith. What is faith? Let me just throw a quick definition up on the screen for you. What is faith? Faith is a living, daring confidence in God and his promises. This is what faith is. It's a forward-looking, sort of living, daring confidence in who God is and all that God has said. That's what faith is. You know, when you cut it to its core, living by faith is refusing to live by what you can see, taste, touch, and smell, kind of your five senses. And rather than living by what you can see, taste, touch, and smell, your senses, you begin to live based on what God has said. That's living by faith. I I love how um, the old Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said it. He said, this is the essence of faith. It is casting oneself on the promises of God. That's faith. It is, it is taking your life and not basing your life on what you can see about your life, but basing your life on what God has said about your life and promised about your life. That, that is what faith is. It's trusting in what God says rather than what you can see. Now, when you just start reading the Bible, you can't miss that this is a central theme in the scriptures. So if you go back to like in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, Habakkuk says this. This is God through Habakkuk saying, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, why is that? It's because Hebrews eleven six 6 says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There is not one moment of right living that pleases God apart from that being fueled by and filled with faith. So Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we, this is every follower of Jesus, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We we walk not by what we can see about our life, but by what God has said about our life. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 4. What does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight? He says it in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, what God has promised. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You just see this theme of walking by faith all throughout the scriptures. Maybe my, my favorite kind of condensed passage of this is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Um, a, a pretty familiar um, verse, but listen to what it says. It should be on the screen for you. 
Listen to Paul here. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Really popular little slogan there. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now listen to this next phrase. And the life I now live, like I've been saved by Jesus, but the life I'm living right now, the life I live every moment of my life, the, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, you see that the point I'm trying to make is living by faith is not a peripheral issue in the life of a follower of Jesus. It's a central issue in our life. Now, let me give you two reasons why it's a central issue and one warning about faith. Two, two reasons why it's right at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus and one warning about faith. Here, here's reason number one, why it is so important that we get living by faith right in the middle of our life, living by faith in Jesus. Number one, Reason number one, faith is connected to all of our life. Everything in our life is connected to faith. This is the reason Paul says in Galatians 2.20, the life I now live in the flesh, and that is like a summary of everything that happens in his life now, when he wakes up to when he goes to bed, everything that is going on in his life, he is saying, I live by faith in the Son of God. He is saying that every area of his life is connected to faith. There is no area in his life disconnected from faith. See, the life of a Christian is not, I have a spasm of faith that starts the journey with God. The Lord rescues me in that spasm of faith. And then I go on living then disconnected from a life of faith in Jesus. That is not the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian is, yes, there is this initial moment of faith where we throw our life on the promises of God. And then we wake up the next day and here's what we're in need of again. Day number one as a Christian, to rethrow our life on the promises of God. And then we wake up day number two and we rethrow our life onto the promises of God. Every moment, every second of the life of a follower of Jesus is a moment of throwing your life upon God. Every moment. There is not one moment in your life disconnected from faith. Maybe we could say it this way. Faith is not just the key to your going to heaven. Faith is also the key in your growing as a follower of Jesus. Like if you want to mature as a Christian, your maturity as a Christian is measured by your trust in Jesus. Your ongoing, continual trust in Jesus. That's how we grow as a Christian. Maybe the best place to see this is Hebrews chapter 11. So Hebrews chapter 11 is all about faith. And if you remember, here's kind of the pattern of Hebrews 11. The pattern is the writer of Hebrews says, by faith, so it takes this abstract kind of thing, this trusting in the promises of God, who God is. The, the writer says, by faith, and then he connects that by faith statement to something concrete in a person's life. So it's by faith, Abel offered acceptable sacrifices to God. By faith, Enoch lived in a way that was pleasing to God. In other words, apart from faith, we cannot please God, Hebrews eleven six, And it just keeps going. By faith, Noah built an ark. He obeyed God when it made no sense to obey God. It hadn't even rained yet, and he's building an ark because there's going to be a flood. Made no sense. He's getting ridiculed by everyone. But by faith, he obeyed. By faith, Moses turned from the power, position, prestige of Egypt, and he left all of that, surrendered all of that for Jesus' sake. By faith, that obedience happened. Do you see that? It's just connecting faith to every moment of our life. And listen, it, it's not as if living by faith means your life is going to be cozy and comfy. 
If you read the end of that chapter, people are getting sawn into horrendous evils and it's by faith they are patiently enduring that horrendous evil. But every moment of our faith, our, our life is connected to faith. Maybe we can say it this way. Every moment of disobedience or obedience has underneath it living by faith or not. Every moment of our life is connected. Do we trust God or not? Do we trust what he says or not? Are we gonna live by what we can see, taste, touch, and smell? Or are we gonna throw our life on God and what he has promised for us? That's every moment of our life. What, what is underneath every moment of obedience and disobedience is that. Faith is connected to everything in our life. Second thing about faith, why it's so important in our life is faith is how we glorify God. It is the way that we glorify God. This is Romans chapter four, verse 20. It should be up on the screen for you. Faith is the way we glorify God. Romans four, verse 20, this is talking about Abraham's life. Paul says this, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You see that? It's connecting faith, living by faith on one hand and the glory of God on the other. So our deepest joy in life comes when we are making much of Jesus. Seeing that? Our deepest joy, the most abiding, richest, deepest joy comes when we are making much of Jesus. Romans 4 is telling us one way we make much of Jesus is by living in faith, by throwing our life upon him, trusting that he will catch us. That's one of the ways that we get our deepest joy and it's one of the ways that we give most glory and we make most of God. I love how one pastor says it. He said, lives of faith are the great mirror of the dependability of God. Lives of faith have a mirror in front of them that reflect back to the world that God really is trustworthy, that you can really bank on God. Living by faith shows the world that. It's convincing the world of that. It's holding up God and showing that he really is dependable and trustworthy. Let's put it in the form of a picture. I want you to picture a scene where a three-year-old boy is walking up to a pool. His dad is in the swimming pool and he's never swam before though. The three-year-old boy has never done this thing. He's never jumped into water. He's never kind of had that moment of like, oh my gosh, I might drown and, and you know, sink in this. You know, he's never had that. He walks up to the pool and it's terrifying for him. He is, he, he is scared to death. And yet he's got his father in the pool and the father looks at him to his son that's never taken a step into this pool. And he looks at him and says, son, will you jump? I'll catch you. I'll, if you'll jump, I'll catch you. Now imagine what happens in that moment. Now maybe we could just answer this question first. What, what would it look like for the son to make his daddy look great in that moment? Here's what it would look like for, his, for the son to make his dad look great. For him to look at his dad and say, dad, I'm scared to death, but I trust you and what you say, and he jumps. That's making his dad look great in that moment. Now, let's go the other side of that. What would it look like for him to make his dad look undependable and, and not trustworthy? What would that look like? It would look like him looking back at his dad and kind of, you know, kind of pulling back from the pool saying, but dad, I don't know if you're gonna catch me. I don't really know if you wanna catch me. I don't know if you can catch me. Well, what does that say about God? In that moment, it's saying to the world that God is not trustworthy. God is not dependable. Do you see that? In the same way, our living by faith or not living by faith is saying something about God. 
when we live by faith, it is saying to the world, yes, it's scary, but my daddy's trustworthy. My dad, you can trust my dad. If he says he'll catch you, he'll catch you. If he says he'll do something, then he's going to do it. You can trust him. But when we don't live by faith, it's saying to the world, Jesus isn't trustworthy. You better make sure you have some other options kind of somewhere in your back pocket. Do you you see that? See, in this way, what does it mean to to give glory to God? Here's what it looks like. Here's what it means to do that. How, How do we make much of God? It means that we take our life and we say to God, I am throwing it all in with you. And when we live by faith like that, it is showing the world just how great God is. Do you see that? Living by faith is deeply connected to giving glory to God, making much of God. And here's the warning. So if those are two reasons why faith needs to be right in the center of our life, here's the warning. To grow, faith has to be tested. Now this is where it gets a little sobering, right? To grow, faith has to be tested. For us to grow, for faith and trust in Jesus to deepen in our life, to widen in our life, there has to be moments of testing. Now, this is exactly what the Lord is doing for Peter in Luke chapter 5. He has created the all or nothing scenario. He's created the test for Peter, and he's looking at Peter and saying, what are you going to do with that? A test is something that's going to show us who we are, and it's going to grow us in our faith. And Peter, in that moment, passes that test. He says, I'm all in with you. And if you just look throughout the Bible, at every major Bible character, you're going to see the Lord arranging these sort of tests in their life. Maybe the case study test in the Bible is the story of Abraham. Abraham gets 15 chapters in the book of Genesis, all the way from Genesis chapter 11 to Genesis chapter 25. And moments of faith, moments of testing just saturated his life. It's all throughout his life. I heard his life summarized like this. Abraham's life. One guy said it like this. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to send you out, Abraham. Abraham says, where, God? God says, I'll tell you later. Right now, you just go. That's Genesis chapter 11 and 12. Then, he, then God comes to Abraham again and says in Genesis 13, I'm going to give you a land, Abraham. And Abraham says, great, great, God, where's the land? And God says, I'll tell you later. For now, just wander around. <laughs> then he says, and this is Genesis chapter 15, I'll give you a child, Abraham. And Abraham says, how, God, I would love that. How are you going to do that? And God says, I'll tell you later. You're going to have to wait. Then finally, God sends a child, Isaac, to Abraham. And then God comes to him, and what is the most difficult test in Abraham's life, comes to him and says, Abraham, kill your child, Genesis 22. And Abraham says, but God, why? This is the the son that you have given me. This is the son of, why would you tell me to do that? And God says, Abraham, I'll tell you later. Walk up the mountain, take the knife, and take the fire. That's Abraham's life. It's just one test after another of the Lord cultivating and calling out and growing faith in him. Now, that is true for all of us. If we're going to grow in our faith, it's going to require a test. So let's just think about in Abraham's life, what makes a test a test? Here's what makes a test a test. Side one. On one side, we have the promise of God. And the promise is not something that we can typically see. We don't know how that promise is going to work out. We don't have the equation that said if we take a right turn here, then a left turn, and then go 15 steps, that's how God's going to do it. You you don't have that with the promise of God. All you have is God saying, this is what I'm going to do. 
but it's an unseen thing. So think about Abraham's life. The Lord's come to him and says, I'm gonna give you a son, Abraham. And through that son, I'm gonna give you many descendants. That's the promise. But then all of a sudden, when Abraham has one son, Isaac, and Isaac has no descendants, the Lord comes to him and says, now I want you to slay your son. See, on one side is this promise that you can't see. On the other side is the immediate reality that you can see. And the two are doing this. That's what makes a test a test. Is when the promise that you can't see and the reality that you can see do not square. It's in that moment that the Lord is testing you. It's in that moment that the Lord is building faith in you and cultivating trust in you. See, what makes a test a test is this. A test is when you can't see how the promise of God fits into your flourishing. God, you, you said you're going to care for me. You said that, that in light of you giving up your own son, how would you not also with him graciously give us all things? But God, if that is true, if that promise is true, why do I have cancer? Why is this loved one dying? Why is this season of suffering just never stopping? How can those two things fit together? Welcome to a test. A test is the moment where your wisdom seems more trustworthy than God's wisdom. Think of the rich young ruler. God comes up to him and he says, okay, here's the thing. If you want me and I want you to have me, if you want me, let go of everything and come and follow me. And in that moment, the rich young ruler's wisdom could not see God's wisdom. The rich young ruler thought, no, I have more wisdom than Jesus has in this moment. Jesus has no idea what he's talking about. He's crazy asking me to do that. There's no way I'm letting go of this thing for Jesus. Welcome to a test. A test is that moment when obedience to Jesus cuts directly across the grain of what you want for your life. Maybe you're in here and you're single right now. And you have prayed and begged the Lord for a spouse. And the Lord has not delivered on that yet. You're in a test. A test occurs when obedience to Jesus, hear this. This is when you know that you're in a test. A test occurs when obedience to Jesus leads to a kind of death that will require some sort of resurrection in your life. That's when you know you've hit a test. When obedience to Jesus is gonna cause a death that if the Lord doesn't intervene and bring a resurrection, everything goes to pot. That's when you know you're in a test. I mean, that's Abraham's life, isn't it? I mean, he is looking at God saying, I want you to kill the son who is the son that I've given the promise about. And unless God intervenes in that moment, the promise is gone. It's, that, that obedience is gonna require the Lord to resurrect something that Abraham could never see on the front end. A test occurs when you have to, now hear this. This is when you know you're in a test. Not just a quiz, but a test. A test occurs when you have to make a jump toward the Lord that could kill you before you know how the Lord's going to catch you. That's when you know you've, you've hit a test. Is when you, you don't have the plan to figure it all out. When it's beyond your control, beyond what you can kind of do, when you've exhausted all human possibilities and you're still throwing your life upon Jesus, that's when you've that's when you hit a test. Now, just think about this again in Abraham's life. He is, gone, he is going up the mountain with wood, with fire, with knife and sun in hand. 
This is what he's going up the mountain with. He has no idea how the Lord's going to work all this out. All he knows is the Lord's given a promise and the Lord has given him the next step of obedience. So he is going up the mountain. He lays out his wood. He lays out his son and with knife gripped hand raised and about to bring it down upon his son, the Lord says, stop. Look over in the thicket. There's your sacrifice. Now I know that your heart's all mine. Now I know that you're fully mine, Abraham. But do you see that? He didn't go up the mountain thinking, you know what the Lord's gonna do? Right about the time I bring this knife down, there's gonna be a ram over there. That's not, he went up there knowing the Lord could do this, but having no idea how he would do it. That's when you've hit a test. Now, let me make one more point about the story of Abraham to encourage you. The story of Abraham doesn't just show us that God tests us to grow our faith. It also shows us that God will never fail us. Now hear that. This is massively important. The story of Abraham doesn't just show us that God will test us. It shows us that God will never fail us. That it, hear me. In every step of faith, the Lord will show himself faithful. That in every moment of you throwing yourself upon the promises of God, that God will show himself faithful. Uh, years ago, I read a, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, and one line has always stuck out to me. In one moment, he is trying to encourage a group of people in just the same moment, just like we have here. And he, and he says to try to encourage them, as for God's failing you, never dream of it. As for God's failing you, as for God letting you down, as for God ruining your life, as for God failing you, man, get that out of your mind because it can't happen. If you're a son or daughter of God, that is an impossibility. As for his failing you, never dream of it. There's no way that can happen. And Stonegate, what the Lord is looking at us and doing right now in this particular season is he's putting tests in front of us. One of those is obviously gonna be money and possessions and how we interact with that. But listen, it's gonna come in every shape and size. But what we're doing today is we are asking the Lord, Father, here is the main ambition of my life. I wanna know you and I wanna trust you. I wanna throw my life upon you. So whatever you have to do in my life to get me ready and willing to do that, God, I am open to you, please do it. That's what we're saying right now. God, whatever it takes, please do that. Whatever you have to squeeze out of me, whatever you have to cut out of me, whatever sort of pain you have to put me through, God, I am willing to do that because I want to live by faith. The number one business of our life is living by faith. Number two, question number two, what is the big, biggest obstacle to that? The biggest obstacle is our flesh. If the number one business is living by faith, the number one thing that we've got to figure out is what, is what does it mean to venture all on God? Our biggest enemy, the number one obstacle in your life and my life to actually doing that is our flesh. That our flesh is that part of us that is at war with God. Our flesh is that part of us that does not trust God, that has a real deep distrust of God. That, that's the flesh. And our biggest enemy to living by faith is that flesh. Here's what our flesh wants to do. Where Jesus is looking at us and saying, here's what I want from your life. I want you to get all of your life in one big pile. All of your hope in one big pile. All of your flesh or all of your faith in one big pile. One big thing right here. And then I want you to shove that pile all in with me. That's what Jesus is saying. Our flesh looks at our life and says, 
that would be the dumbest thing you could ever think to do. Rather than doing that, how about you try this? Let's diversify your faith. Let's diversify your hope. Rather than putting all of your hope in Jesus, let's put a little bit of your hope in your, in your money, a little bit of hope in your retirement account, a little bit of hope in your house, a little bit of hope in your spouse, a little bit of hope in your kids, a little bit of hope in a lot of different things. And then we'll also give a little bit of hope and a little bit of faith to Jesus too. But how about we go that way? And, and this way, if we, if we do this diversified portfolio thing, if any one, two, three, four, or five of those things fail you, you'll be just fine in your life. If Jesus doesn't come through for you, you'll be just fine in your life. That is how the flesh wants all of us to operate. And if you'll look at your life right now, you'll see that thing working itself out. Rather than all of our lives being pushed in with Jesus, there is a diversification of our portfolios. Because the flesh hates living by faith, but, hear this, Jesus hates our diversified portfolios. Can't stand those things. Doesn't like those things. Now, when you're thinking about the voice or, or the flesh, it's important that you get a sense of the flesh in your life is not just some abstract thing out there. The flesh in your life has a voice into you. It speaks to you. It talks to you. It is that voice of caution in your life. There's a voice of the flesh. Now, C.S. Lewis, uh, he recognized this. He wrote an article in the, this book, The Weight of Glory. It's just 10 articles kind of combined into a book. The last article is called A Slip of the Tongue. And here's kind of how the article lays itself out. Uh, he, is, he is repeating a, a kind of a written prayer to people. So it's just a formal prayer. He's reading the prayer in kind of a context like this. And, uh, but as he's reading the prayer, he slips up and says it wrong. The prayer reads, God, help us see through the temporal, the things that we can see. Help us see through what we can see to get to the eternal, to what we can't see. Help us in that. But when he's reading the prayer, he reverses it. He says, God, help us see through the eternal and help us get to the temporal. And then he's thinking about that. And he's like, you know, I think there's probably more to that than a slip of the tongue. I think that's actually how I want to operate in my life. So he goes on and listen to how he talks about the voice of the flesh. It's this play it safe sort of a voice. He says it like this, It'll be on the screen for you. There is a voice inside me that urges caution. It tells me to be careful, to keep my head, not to go too far, not to burn my boats. I come into the presence of God with a great fear. Lest anything should happen to me within his presence, which will prove too intolerably inconvenient when I have come out again into my ordinary life. I don't want to be carried away into any resolution, which I shall afterwards regret. For I know I shall be feeling quite different after breakfast. I don't want anything to happen to me at the altar in the presence of God, which will run up too big of a bill to pay then. Do you see that? Now, if you know anything about your heart, if you'll just listen to your heart a little bit, you'll hear that voice. It's the play it safe voice. That voice that's saying, man, it's okay to like Jesus. Just don't throw all of your life onto Jesus. It's okay to kind of admire Jesus. Just don't put yourself in that dreaded position of actually having to trust him. Whatever you do, don't do that. You'll hear that voice in your own heart if you'll just listen to it. That voice is in all of us. It's that play it safe voice, that voice of caution, that voice that says, don't get too crazy with Jesus, whatever you do. Now, it's so sobering to think about what that voice costs us in our life. 
I mean, think about in the Bible. If Abraham would have listened to the voice of the flesh, he never would have seen the ram provided in the thicket. Abraham never would have seen the, or uh, Noah never would have seen the deliverance of God. Daniel never would have seen the Lord rescue him in a lion's den. Peter never would have walked on water one day because he'd still be stuck back here fishing. Think about what we, I mean, what's sobering is most of the things that we have missed because of fear in our life, we'll never know about because we never got to see the Lord just in his own miraculous way deliver us in that moment. And even worse, the worst thing about this this voice of the flesh is it actually keeps us away from the very God who is meant to save us. It it becomes a wall between us and the Lord to keep us from knowing parts of God that the Lord wants us to know and experience. It actually works to keep us away from God. Listen to how C.S. Lewis goes on to talk about this. He's using a metaphor, and in this metaphor, the sea is God. So he's talking about the sea. The shore is us living by fear kind of withdrawn by sight, but what we can see, taste, touch, and smell, casting out into the deep. It's that moment where we know God out there, where we're trusting God out there. Listen to what he says about this. He says, there is an endlessly recurrent temptation to go down to the sea, to go down to God. I mean, the God of the scriptures, this God who loves us and cares for us and wants us to walk by faith, to go down to the sea and there at God, down at the sea, neither dive in nor swim nor float, but only dabble and splash around, careful not to get out of my depth and holding on to the lifeline which connects me with all of these things temporal, all these things that I can see, all these things that I'm depending on over here. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying walking by sight is the, is the thing that is keeping us from God. It's the thing that's, that's holding us back from God. It's the thing that's holding us back from knowing God and experiencing God and making much of God. This is why C.S. Lewis goes on to say, you know, that, that lifeline that keeps us connected to the things that we can see, keeps our life kind of connected to and kind of banking on what it is that we can like visibly see in our life rather than casting our life on, onto Jesus. He says, of course, that lifeline is really a death line. Of course, living by sight, keeping ourselves into the shallows of God, not allowing ourselves to push out into the deeps with God. Of course, that will eternally ruin us. Of course, that is robbing from us so much of the life that God would want for us. Okay, now I want to land the plane here by saying, doing a couple of different things. I want to be clear on what the priorities are in this next season of life for us as a church. Yes, yes, we have things in front of us like cultivate ministry, like planning the gospel and church planting and orphan care, like putting down roots with a new facility. And for those things over the next two years, yes, we need $6 million to do those things. But this season is secondarily about all of those things. And listen, it is a distant second. It is a secondary issue. Here is the main issue. It is the Lord cultivating faith in us. The Lord taking us on this journey of learning what it means to venture everything on God, to not walk by sight, but to walk by faith. That is the main issue. That is the main goal that we have. We are praying that 100% of our people that call Stonegate home will go on that journey with the Lord and hear me. The Lord has such great things for you down that road. Such wonderful things for you down that road. And let me just illustrate how these set up, the the primary versus the secondary, just to help give you substance for this. 
If somebody today said, I will give you a check for $6 million, whatever you need, I'm, it's done. Taken care of, here's the check right now. I want you to hear this very clearly. If that happened, we would kill the fattened calf and we, would, we were gonna throw a party right now, right here. That's going down, but hear me. We would still do this generosity initiative. Here's the reason. It is not primarily about a number that we raise. It is primarily about the Lord cultivating faith in you and in me. That's the number one thing this is about. It's the number one issue. So then the question becomes, how, what does it look like to respond today? Like what's our first step in this journey of like responding? I think Jonathan Edwards, uh, probably the greatest American theologian that's lived thus far, I think he models what an appropriate response would look like. He was 20 years old. It was uh, the year 1723. He just cracked open his Bible and read it. And then he unfolded his journal and wrote this after he opened the Bible and read it. He said, I have been before God. I have been before God. And I have given myself all that I am and all that I have to God. So that I am not in any respect my own. I have given myself clear away and have not retained anything as my own. I have this morning told God that I did take him as my whole happiness. I think that's the first step that we all need to take today. Let's pray together. We, this morning, have been before God. And what I'm praying for all of us in this room is that we could say along with Jonathan Edwards a few hundred years ago, I am giving myself all that I am, all that I have to God. I want you to picture a a scene just in your mind's eye. I want you to picture yourself in a room. There's two chairs in the room and there's a table between them. And you're sitting in one chair. We just to get that picture in your mind. You're sitting in one chair and across that table, Jesus is sitting in the other chair. Just get that, get that visual And I want you to imagine Jesus looking at you because this is what Jesus is doing to all of us this morning through his spirit in this room, in this place right now. He is looking at you and he is saying, will you put your yes on the table? Just like he did for Peter in Luke 5. Peter, I want your yes on the table. And I just imagine some of our responses being, but God, will you, will you tell me what that yes is gonna mean? 
God, God, I'll put that yes on the table as long as, no, he's saying, just, will you put your yes on the table? And here is step number one in this journey of all in. It is this morning you looking at Jesus and you looking at him and you saying, God, my, my yes, it's scary, but my yes is on that table. Can you just imagine yourself just in that room, it's you and Jesus across this table. Can you imagine yourself putting that yes on that table? Now, I want you to imagine Jesus looking back at you and saying, now you need to cut all the strings to that yes. Every string that you have attached to it, that, that string needs to be cut. So that string that says, Yes, Jesus, but, but it's going to have to look this way. Yes, Jesus, but, but you could never ask me to do that. Yes, Jesus, but, but if obedience means this, I'm out. And Jesus looking at you and saying, I want every string cut. Not, not one string to that yes remains. And I'm going to ask you to do something in that room. Will you cut the strings to that Yes. No one can do that for you. I can't do that for you. Your home group leader can't do Will you cut the strings? Outside of Jesus saving me, the biggest moment of my life was when I was 21 years old and a pastor stood up and gave that moment And in that moment, I put that yes on the table and I cut the strings. And man, life with God has been so rich. So hard at times, but so rich. And oh, that God would give us the sort of daring confidence in him and his promises that would enable us to push that yes out there and to go for it. So God, would you do that? God, would you, would you help us know that in this moment that the God that we're saying yes to is the God who Paul says in, in Galatians 2.20 that you're the God that loved us and gave yourself for us. So who else would we do this with? Who else could we trust this sort of a yes with? So God, would you give us that sort of courage? God, will you help us right now in just the holiness of this moment to put our yes on that table, cut every string associated with it? God, would you help us do that? It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.